Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Advent is a time of waiting. We wait for God to send divine love and light into our dark world. How does this happen? God's light comes through Jesus, who became a human being just like you and I, in order to be the means of restoring us to God. Merciful God, grant us grace to heed the warnings of the prophets and forsake our sins, so that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. Today, God's messengers still appear in the wilderness of our lives to prepare the way of the Lord. May we be willing to repent of our sins and to get ready for God's kingdom. May we welcome God's baptism of the Holy Spirit's fire and love in our hearts. Amen.
What a wonderful way to uh, begin our worship today, singing with the angels of the coming of Christ. We're so glad that you are here on the second Sunday of Advent. Let me invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in the worship service today. couple things I want to uh, bring to your attention. Tonight at 5 o'clock, uh, another of our interns, Andrew Sherman, will be preaching here in a, in a worship service. We'll have uh, singing. Uh, so children are going to sing, other groups. Uh, but we want to, uh, so I'm going to encourage you to support Andrew uh, as he finishes up his internship. And he'll be preaching tonight. So let me encourage you about being here, part of that. Wednesday evening, the Kids Club is going caroling. And they would love for you to join them. You can speak here at the church at 6 o'clock. And next Sunday morning, notice our worship schedule changes. We have one worship service at 10 o'clock beginning next Sunday for the next four weeks. So please take note of that as well. We are uh, trying to each week um, do uh, highlight uh, some of our ministries in the church. Just give you a little glimpse into those. And this morning, uh, we want to give you a glimpse about youth ministry. Kylie Gibbs, who helps out with the youth ministry, is going to share a little bit about uh, what we're doing with our youth. Good morning. My name is Kylie Gibbs, and I'm a senior at Houghton College. And I've been involved in the Houghton and Fillmore Wesleyan Combined Youth Group for the past year and a half as a small uh, group leader. John Cole and Beth Tucker are the youth pastor and coordinators, and they are a blessing to work with. The Lord is definitely using this ministry to help me grow spiritually as I work with students and other adults. I'd like to give you a quick idea of how our ministry is structured. I think of this ministry as a funnel. And at the top, the ministry is wide as we reach out into the world around us by taking students on mission trips to other parts of the United States, as well as more local trips, um, such as Buffalo, as part of the Love Buffalo Outreach. These trips allow us to interact with students outside of our own culture and push us to live outside of our comfort zone. As the funnel, funnel narrows slightly, we encourage participation in a number of denominationally sponsored events, including the Follow Tour, which is a national convention, the Winter Retreat, Refresh Family Camp, which are both events sponsored by our local district. And the funnel continues to get smaller as we provide special programming throughout our local churches. And these programs include the 30-hour famine, a special Orienta weekend, um, and our annual lip sync competition, which is actually tonight, and that's just pure fun. And we also provide weekly programming on Sunday evenings, including big group games and giveaways and small group discussions and prayer, as well as weekly prayer breakfast every Tuesday morning. And on an even more individual level, some of our volunteer leaders meet with students individually and in small groups to build deeper relationships. By providing such a variety of experiences, we are able to help contribute to students' spiritual well-roundedness and well-being. This is a big task, and we couldn't provide this level of programming without our volunteers. Not all of our volunteers interact with our students. Many work quietly in the background, setting up, providing snacks, making donations, cooking meals. Some, prov some provide an 
um, provide on an as-needed basis, chaperoning big events or filling in for our small group leaders. And others have committed to the weekly teaching and sharing needed for our Sunday nights and Tuesday mornings. Our students are some of the most talented, kind, and hilarious people I know. I'm thankful for the chance to work with them and interact each week as we challenge each other to grow in our walk with Christ. If you would like to be a part of this ministry, we could really use your help. We have such a variety of needs, and I'm confident that we can find a place for you to put the gifts you have been given to work. If you would like to contact John Cole or Beth Tucker, you can find their contact information on the church websites. Thank you.
The Old Testament scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in the prayer of confession. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Merciful God, how many prophets of your light have we ignored because they were not what we were looking for? How many times have we ignored voices crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord? How many times have we breathed a sigh of relief and turned our backs on your messengers because they did not speak the message we expected to hear? Help us hear anew the cry of those who would lead us to Christ. Turn our ears to your heralds, that we might also testify to your light. And through the coming of Christ, may we hear your words of pardon and assurance. If we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. As we continue in prayer, if you would like to Come to the altar rail to offer your prayers this morning. Please come and join me. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son that turns our despair into hope, our sorrow into joy, our yearnings into fulfillment. We come today asking for your presence and your grace in our lives and all that we are and all that we do and in this whole world. As we face a variety of burdens and circumstances, personally and corporately, We pray for your grace. 
pray, Father, for all who come today struggling with grief and pain and loss, and particularly at this time of year when we feel the loss much more deeply. Fill us with your comfort. We pray for those struggling with health concerns. We ask for your healing on Tim Nichols and Bob Brown, Jane Swanson, Louise Princell, Laura Habecker, Hudson Hess, Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Ellis Brotsman, Chuck Barrett, Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Warren Woolsey and Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen and Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds and hearts today. We pray, Father, for the burdens that we feel about the future, uncertainty. We pray, Father, that you will, you will open doors and, and shed light and give us the grace to trust you. We think about uh, this for many students and faculty, this time of year of finals and exams and papers, and we ask for your grace to remember in the grading process, and, and we ask that there will be a good conclusion to this semester. Father, we, we pray for the world beyond us. We think of those in our nation and in other nations who are recovering and grieving from recent disasters and tragedies. Pray for those who are affected mostly most by this fire, fires in Southern California. We pray that you will help those fighting the fire to get it under control and that the damage would end. We pray, Father, for our nation and the divisiveness that we see everywhere. We pray that you would bring unity and let it be rooted in you and you alone. Father, we pray for our world, for refugees, many of whom have no place to lay their head, who live in camps where they are threatened, persecution. We pray, Lord, that you will make it possible for them to return home. We pray, Father, for places of war and violence that for far too many people are just everyday life. Bring peace. Lord, we thank you for the work of your church around the world. We pray today for uh, the national church development in the Czech Republic and Sierra, Sierra Leone, where we are intimately connected. We ask, Father, that you would help each country and the leaders of the church in each country to raise up new leaders from among the people and that they would serve you and feel called by you and would know you and lead others to you. And Father, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters. We think of particularly of teens in the Middle East who are Christians and face great opposition and persecution, struggles. Give them courage. Give them grace. May they know that you are with them and may they bear witness to who you are. We thank you, Father, for the ministries of our church. and We pray for the youth group today and all who work with the youth group. May your blessing be upon them and may, 
May they continue to disciple and learn and grow. And that in this, in this very important time of life, they would set foundations for their lifelong walk with you. And we pray for churches around us. Pray for the Friends in Christ, United Methodist Church in Fillmore, Pastor Russell. May your blessing rest upon this body of believers as they serve each other and Fillmore and beyond. Be glorified in all that they are and do. Father, we thank you for Jesus coming into our broken world. We thank you that Jesus comes to give us life and to set us free. Open our hearts to welcome Jesus this day and every day. And we ask this in his name, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Tears are falling, hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God. You've been promised. Thanks.
The New Testament reading this morning is from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Please stand for the gospel reading, and children may be dismissed for Children's Church following the scripture reading. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord.
As the other ushers come forward, please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to give. Thank you for sending your son so that we would have hearts of gratitude and would realize that we've received the greatest gift. Help us to be gracious in our gifts and have them reflect our hearts. In the Lord's name we pray, amen. first light of a new day, no one knew he had arrived. Things continued as they had been, while the newborn softly cried. But the heavens, wrapped in wonder, knew the meaning His mother held him closely. It was hard to understand how this baby, not yet speaking, was the word of God to man. He would tell them of his kingdom, but their hearts would not believe. They would hate him. Sadness would be broken as the song of life arose, and the firstborn of creation would ascend and take his throne. singing on the morning of his birth. But how much greater will our song be when he comes again to earth? When he comes to rule the earth. When he comes back, when he comes back to Father, thank you for the coming of Christ and thank you for the day when Christ will come again. We pray that you would open our hearts to your word, to your spirit, as we think once again 
about the coming of Christ. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. I suspect that when you got into your vehicle this morning, if you did, or other days when you, when you get into your vehicle, you might not have thought all that much about this, this amazing machine that you were climbing into. I would guess that most of us probably don't spend a lot of time when we get into our vehicles thinking about how the engine works and how the brakes work and the axles and the electronics and the the computer system. We just get in and go. Full disclosure, when I got in my vehicle this morning, I didn't think a thing about it. Just got in, turned the key, pulled out, came down here. And that's a typical day. I rarely ever think about those things. And you know, we, I think we do the same thing with most of the things in our lives. You walk into a room, you flip the switch. Most of us aren't thinking, huh, I wonder how that electricity works. We just expect the light to come on. And the only time we really think about the electricity working is when it doesn't. You stand in front of the sink and you turn the handle and you expect water to come out. But I suspect most of us don't think to ourselves, I wonder how that water gets to my house. I wonder how it goes through the pipes and how it gets heated. We just turn it on. The only time we think about that stuff is when we turn the handle and nothing happens. And I sometimes wonder if we don't do the same thing about the incarnation. We, we think about Christmas so much. It's so much a part of our lives, whether even for people who aren't in the church, Christmas is a part of their life. But for those of us in the church, we think about it, we're, we're engaged with it, we talk about it, we sing it, we do all of these things every year. But I wonder how much time we take to actually stop and ponder what this is all about. I think that might be one of, the, one of the motivations, one of the reasons for Charles Wesley penning this Christmas carol that we're looking at today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He wrote it about a year after his, his uh, renewal experience with God. He wrote it as a Christmas hymn, as you might well imagine. But when he wrote it, it it was a little bit different than we have it now. The original first couple of lines, and you might want to pull out your hymnal, and uh, I think it's hymn 117. I didn't print the words this week, but you can see them there. It originally started, Hark how the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. And the welkin is the vast expanse of the sky, an old English term for the sky, the, uh, you know, the the what we see above us, and he's talking about the night when the angels sing to the shepherds. And uh, Wesley, who um, wrote, probably, probably wrote more hymns than anybody else in the history of the church, more than 6,500 hymns, uh, wrote this one, one of his earlier ones. And you can imagine if you write 6,500 hymns, some of them are going to be really good and some of them not so much. And if you look through his hymns, you can see that. I mean, you know, you've got to have a few that don't quite make it after that many. But the thing about Wesley's hymns is that they are so deeply theological. 
Probably as much as any hymn writer in our hymnal, Wesley wrote theology. But this original song was a little bit different. And uh, George Whitfield, one of his close friends and associates, they were in, he and uh, Charles and George and John were all in school together and they, they learned together, they had experiences together. Uh, Whitfield loved to tweak Wesley's hymns. It did not make Wesley happy. In fact, he would not sing Whitfield's version of this hymn any point in his life. He always sang his original words. And, it, and this is a hymn that Whitfield didn't do a lot to. He tweaked a few things, changed the opening line. But the problem for Wesley was that uh, Wesley, uh, John, and Charles were Arminian theologically, and Whitfield was a Calvinist. And so Wesley always assumed that Whitfield changed the, two, the words in order to sneak some Calvinism into his Wesleyan hymns. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was his, that was his concern. But they remained friends uh, to their dying days. But I actually think in this case, probably what Whitfield did may have improved it a little bit. At least made it more understandable, more easier to sing. At the heart of this hymn is the idea that God has come in human flesh. On the night that the angels sing to the shepherds, they sing, Peace on earth, goodwill to all people, because unto you a Savior is born. There is in this hymn and in our, in our theology of Christmas, at the heart of it is the incarnation. That God became a human being. It is what we read in John's gospel, in the opening prologue of John's gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He begins the second verse of this hymn. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. I love that image, Christ, the highest heaven adored. You can see the angels worshiping him. It's the picture that Paul paints in Philippians chapter 2. Of how, on that day when all, every, every being in heaven and earth and under the earth will worship Jesus. This is who he is. This is our, this is our Savior. He is God in flesh. And when you get later on in that second verse, you find, I think, one of the most profound theological lines in all of Christian hymnody. It's one of those lines that I'm not sure we ever get to the end of pondering. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Wow. Jesus comes, not just, he's not just sort of the, the scraps of heaven that God may send to us. He is God incarnate. He comes to reveal the nature of God, the heart of God, everything about who God is. In the Old Testament, when God appears to human beings, it is so frightening. He's so holy and powerful and almighty, they cannot even look upon him. But John writes in the last verse of his prologue, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. 
Paul writes in in, uh, Colossians, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And when people looked at Jesus, when Peter looked at Jesus, when Mark looked at Jesus, when when, uh, John looked at Jesus, when Mary looked at Jesus... Looking at God in flesh. And so many people miss that. So many people miss him. They can't see it. But he comes to show us not only the nature of God, but the heart of God. This is who God is. What he really wants to convey to us is that God wants relationship with us. God wants to fix what is broken in us. God wants to heal us. God wants to give peace to us, grace to us. He wants to transform us. And so he begins this song echoing the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. What tore us apart was not something God did. It was what we did. And when he talks about God and sinners reconciled, we all realize that's talking about all of us, right? That's all of us. It's the whole world. And Paul says, God in Christ has come to reconcile us with God. To give us peace to transform our hearts, to make us new, to make us holy, to set us free from the guilt and the burden and the power of sin. God has come to restore us to relationship with him. It's one of the great themes, not only of Wesley's hymns, but of scripture. Jesus comes in flesh to be the savior of the world. And to be the savior of the world means to reconcile us with God. To bridge the gap that our sin creates. This is why he comes. One of the things that Wesley emphasizes in this hymn is not just the incarnation, as powerful as that is in and of itself. But he takes time to emphasize the means of the incarnation. There are lots of stories in mythology and and other religions of of God's taking on human appearance. This is the only story where God takes on human appearance by being a baby. By being born into this world in the vulnerability of a baby. It's one thing for us to say God took on flesh. God became human. God could have easily done that by just simply appearing as a 30-year-old man coming onto the scene. But God wants to be like us. And so he becomes one of us. 
You see it emphasized throughout not only this hymn as you get to the final three lines and every one of them begins with the word born. But it's really at the heart of the nativity story in Matthew and Luke. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Mary became pregnant. An angel appeared to Joseph and said, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. The angel says to Mary, You will be with child and give birth to a son. And while the shepherds were there in Bethlehem, or while Mary and Joseph were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. And the angels declared to the shepherds, The Savior has been born today in Bethlehem. You will find a baby. And then as the King James has it, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. We used to always giggle when we heard that because it sounded like all three of them were lying in the manger. There's hardly anything in this world more vulnerable than a baby. I was watching Hannah hold her little boy during the service. No babies... They can't do anything for themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't go find food. They can't, they have to be taught to nurse. They have to, they have to be gradually introduced to solid food. They can't protect themselves. They can't crawl, much less walk. I mean, they're the most vulnerable beings in our homes. And the Almighty God, of which John says, created all things, and of whom the book of Revelation says he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, became a little baby. And if it weren't for Mary and Joseph, He wouldn't have survived. I don't think you can get to the end of pondering that. A little baby. God enters the world just like you do. And just like you did and you did and you did and I did. It's a phenomenal thing to ponder. And Wesley keeps reminding us He's born. But I also love the other line in the second verse that I think is imperative for us to think about. We have such a skewed view of God. You know, we most people tend to see God as a God who judges, a God who is harsh. A God who wants to, to kill joy. A God who wants to remove all the excitement and fun of life. A God who only does what he has to do. Because that's the image we have of all, all the other things in this world that we end up worshiping. It's how all the other nations, all the other peoples of the world think of their gods. 
And so Wesley not only says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. He says, pleased as man with men to dwell. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Now, I, I like I like turning the older language that's gendering exclusive into more gender inclusive language. But that's one of those phrases that just, I think, might need to just be kept as it is. Because it just, it just poetically, it just fits. Pleased as man with men to dwell. God doesn't do this because he has to. Jesus doesn't come because the Father is forcing him or threatening him. He's got his arm behind his back. He comes enthusiastically, joyfully. It gives him great pleasure to come and to be among us, despite all of the limitations that his coming means for him. I mean, he comes into this world and he deals with all the same stuff that you and I deal with. Aches and pains And I'm sure in the carpenter shop, he smashed his finger more than once and cut himself. And his heart was broken by people he trusted. He was betrayed. He goes through all the things that you and I go through. And he did it willingly and joyfully. As Paul writes to the Colossians, the the father was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell. In Jesus. It brings joy to him. You think about the things in your life that bring joy to you. For me right now in my life, it's spending time with my granddaughter. That's never a burden. In fact, I'm always trying to find ways to, you know, stop by their house, even if I don't really need to. It's a joy. It's a pleasure. You, many of you know that. And Jesus comes and it brings him this kind of pleasure and joy, even though it means suffering and pain and heartache, even though Christmas means God goes through difficult, hard pain. He does it joyfully because he loves us. I keep thinking about that discussion that the the church fathers had in the fourth century they were trying to figure out the theology of the church. And, and one of the questions that they were debating was if, if human beings had never sinned, would Jesus have still come? And they debated that issue for a number of days and finally came to the conclusion that nobody really knows because Scripture doesn't address it. But there were a lot of them who said, yeah, I think he would have. And the reasoning was because Sin or no sin, God likes us and he wants to be close to us. It's not a burden for the word to become flesh. It is a joy to do this in order to transform us and to heal us and to bring peace and the answers to our yearning and for the whole world. And the question in front of us as we ponder all of this is, what do we do about it? How do we respond to this? I think Wesley gives us some hints in this hymn. It begins simply by saying, hark, the herald angels sing. 
Pay attention. Listen up. Open your ears. Open your eyes. One of the things that, one of the reasons why the the religious leaders and others miss Jesus is because they aren't paying attention. Their minds aren't on God. Their hearts aren't on God. There's not an openness to God. And so they miss him. And I suspect you and I miss him far too often because we're just so focused on ourselves. We're so focused on our own lives and our own problems that we can't see him when he's right there in front of us. So pay attention. But then you get to the third verse and there's this apex, this climax as you start that third verse. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. That's what the people would say to Caesar. We worship you. Everything in our lives is about you. And this is what it means to embrace the incarnation. It's not just to think about it, but it's to open our hearts to the coming of Christ into our hearts, our lives, every part of our being, every moment of every day. And worship is not just Sunday, as important as it is. Worship is not just when we're reading the scriptures or praying, as important as that is. It's every moment of every day. And to worship God as he calls us to is to want God's words to be our words. It's it's to want everything in our heart to reflect the image of God. It is wanting every attitude to be the attitude of God. It's wanting every action to be the action of God. It is wanting all of our lives to be impacted by the coming of Christ. We are so grateful for what God has done. We refuse to take it for granted. We refuse to allow familiarity to breed entitlement. But instead we give thanks every day, every moment for what God has done for us in the sending of his son. In the vulnerability of a baby. In love and grace. That's why what we're really wanting to end up doing as we think through these carols is to commit ourselves to live what we sing. So that when we sing about the incarnation, we sing with gratitude. And we sing with a desire to worship and praise God, not only with our mouths, but with every part of our being. And that's my prayer for us. So, Holy Father, we pray that you will so fill our minds with the truths of your word, and particularly what we see in this great hymn of your servant, that it would become how we live and think and feel and act. With the grace of Christ. Amen. Wesley wrote his hymn in 1739. In 1840, a hundred years later, Felix Mendelssohn wrote the tune that we typically sing with this carol. He didn't write it for this carol. In fact, he didn't write it. It was not connected with any words. He wrote it for the 400th anniversary of the invention of the printing press and a big celebration of that. And he said at the time, you know, he he said, I like this tune. I feel like it's inspired 
He said, I hope someone puts words to it, but I'm pretty sure sacred text would never work with this song. Fifteen years later, a musician named William Cummings said, no, I disagree. And he took the, this text of Wesley's that had been sung to other tunes, among them, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. He, he had written it for, sung to other tunes, and he took that text, and he took Mendelssohn's tune, and he realized they fit together really well. And since about 1855, this is the tune that's been sung with these words. So I want to invite you to stand. And this is a song last week, you know, Come, O Come, Emmanuel's kind of meditative. This is a hymn that as we think about it, is celebrative. We, we rejoice. We give thanks. We worship. This one who has come to us in human flesh. Let's stand and sing.
Jesus has come in flesh. He is coming again that we may be where he is. May he fill you with his peace, his love, his joy, his grace, his healing, his mercy, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.